Wendy Kornberg is a second-generation Humboldt cannabis farmer, a Korean natural farming practitioner, and the owner of Sunnibus Farms, an outdoor organic cannabis farm. I met them through the Gangier program and got the chance to talk yesterday on the road out from the farm. I hope you enjoy our conversation about KNF, community farming, and about building a better world. And welcome back to the Bluegrass Podcast. She said, now I'm a red-headed galactic installation portal revolving around the sun. I know I'm here and that it means love everyone. So, driving on a road, location undisclosed, hanging out with Wendy Corner. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and KNF is specifically about soil life? Yeah. Well, I mean, KNF stands for Korean Natural Farming, and it is very specifically a methodology used for farming. And the idea behind it is to utilize what you have. So you're not buying things. You're not purchasing. I mean, there are a few things you have to buy, but for the most point, it's a, um, a way to really kind of increase profit margins by reducing how much money you're spending on inputs. So instead of buying fertilizer, you make it. I was reading a couple of things on a few different websites about Master Cho and some of the sort of ideas behind it. And it seemed like a lot of it was about home industry and like the practical science of growing food. But also, like you said, all of the inputs that go into having a life. Yeah. And when you're talking about the practical inputs that go into growing food, you know, what we really are thinking about in general when we think about that is more of industrial agriculture, because now growing food has become a business, right? And it's become a big business. And that big business is overseen by large companies. And those large companies have deep pockets and they get to kind of make the rules. But the reality is growing food is as simple as, you know, literally going for a walk in the woods. I mean, right now, California, it's this beautiful Indian summer. There's mushrooms everywhere. So we've just, you know, as, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, future man almost, right? As a as people that have kind of come from a foraging lifestyle way back in the day, we've kind of lost that ability. And gotten a lot pickier, I think. And gotten a lot pickier and, and a lot less picky too, bizarrely. I don't think it's picky so much as lazy. And I don't mean that in any type of really horribly negative way. It's just that people don't really want to grow their own food. It sounds too difficult. It looks hard. You know, they tried to put a tomato in a pot and it got blossom and rot and blight and died. And they were like, forget it. This is too difficult. Um, it's so much easier to just go to the store and buy something there. But when we even look at like the nutritional content of our food over the years, it has drastically dropped. Our food does not hold the same nutrition it used to. So therefore, you know, we need more of it. Now we need sugar. Now we need salt. Now we need to add more flavor to it because it's bland. It, you know, it's just this weird self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, I mean, to go down the, the all the way to the end conclusion of disease and, you know, um, disease and discontent for human beings. Well, and that anyone can eat whatever they want from wherever they want at any time of the year, right? It's not always the best nutritionally when you want it versus when it's ripe, right? 
Yeah, and and when you're not growing yourself too, like getting an heirloom tomato is so much more difficult at the store because they have thin skin; they don't ship well. So that's why we have all these hybrids that industrial agriculture has created to make it easier to get it to where it wants to go. But and destroying a large amount of the extra produce, I think, also to get the perfection aesthetically that people want to buy, since so many people buy on site, right? Right, exactly. Visually, things look like what we want, but then you're left a little bit lacking. It's funny, too, because, like, you know, cannabis is going down that same route where it's, like, all about bag appeal. But what about the experience? What about the flavor? What about the smell? So, um, you know. Well, it's the test case for agriculture that we saw over the past 80 years played out in real time again. If you want the example of, oh, Look at the rest of agriculture. That's kind of where we're going. Like, Yeah, only like in a whole rocket ship very fast and down a very weird, trippy path. <laughs> it, It's interesting to me also, and I guess I'm going to make like a Kentucky reference because do you know Wendell Berry? I do. Okay, so like it's interesting. Not personally. <laughs> no. Well, nobody does. He's kind of a recluse. He doesn't really do interviews at all. The idea of like home industry, of being in your local area and using the surrounding landscape. I guess for me talking about like trying to get things more nutritionally, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, a higher nutritional value. Mm-hmm. And also I think, I don't want to use a word like better cause that's very vague, but higher quality produce I think oftentimes does just come locally. If you're not shipping it for 50 hours across continents, likelihood of contamination or breakage or whatever is much lower right and that's a lot of times why things are shipped immature and not ripe is because then they can ripen at the store where there's less chance of damage um but you know again even even when we're talking about not just the genetics and hybridization of our food and our medicines but bringing it back down into that soil health again and um you know and long-term soil health right yes exactly building your soil and building it over time and again you know we kind of come back to that human beings are lazy people are like oh it's going to take me a year or two to condition my soil well forget it i'll just put pavement down and grow smart pots and put in potting soil and just make it easy on myself and it's you know Sure, it can be done. Sure, it probably can be done a little bit more sustainably than it generally is, but it generally isn't a sustainable way to do it. And it's not the best produce, and it's not going to be the best quality of anything that you grow because potting soil doesn't have the life in it that native soils do. And I think it's also important kind of talking about you as a generational farmer, getting also back not necessarily a family, but groups of people who understand the land over generations and can get that extra information and sort of caretake it over time. Talking about KNF, you go all the way to the smallest thing, but then you go to like agroforestry and old growth forest and these things that unless you put in 100, 200, 500 years of plant growth, you might not be getting in the right proportions over the long term. Yeah, we do. We talk a lot about land stewardship a lot about caretaking the places that we, you know, set our feet on. And um, that's, I mean, for me, it's like one of the things I love most about KNF is there's a lot of it that forces you to get out of your garden and go for a walk in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that enough as an adult. I did it all the time as a kid. I was always running around in the woods. As an adult, not so much until I started getting into KNF. And then it was like, oh, I have to make an indigenous microorganism collection. That means I need to go off the path. I need to go out of the, you know, 
out of the homesteaded area, out of the place where human beings have been, you know, pilfering around and into more untouched nature. And I need to find those delicate diversity of microorganisms in the soil that have had, you know, hundreds of years of, um, you know, not being messed with to really establish themselves and the delicate diversity that once we start stepping on it or building or doing anything or even having runoff from roads going down it, it destroys that. So, um, you know, it's for me, one of the best parts is getting out into the land and actually like, you know, taking time to sit in nature for a minute and, you know, reconnect. And I think that's one of the things that I like most and most about teaching too, is there is, a um, kind of an intrinsic connection that happens with the land when you're doing this type of agriculture. So instead of getting on a tractor that's loud and plowing the field and just kind of destroying things, um, you're walking in the woods and, you know, putting out a box and, you know, digging in the dirt and really just kind of getting intimate with your land. Well, and also talking about, like you said, the tractor destroying things and sort of being this really quick, easy in air quotes, efficient method of getting something out of the soil, it also kind of, I think, hits a lot of questions people don't want to talk about, about like, if you are a job creator, if you're giving people a job to do that is more ecologically sound, maybe doesn't give you the short-term yields, but will over the long-term, we get back into that question of like, agriculture is a commodity, right? Versus we need this so we don't all die. Yeah, it's definitely, um, there's a a conversation, I was at a conference listening to um, Ed Rosenthal talk, and Swami was on the the panel as well, and a few other people, and right when I walked in, and it it was the New West Conference, which is a very kind of technologically, you know, cited type of, of gig, and, um, Ed was talking about how, you know, almost all nurseries, almost all horticulture is automated now. You know, there the machine reaches out, it plucks the cutting, it puts it and sticks it in the cube, mm-hmm. it moves it down a conveyor belt, you know, and it's all mechanized. Those yeah. sort of horrifying machines you see with the conveyor belts where they just pick the tomatoes out of the rotten fruit and yeah. send it to the bin. Yeah, exactly. Only this is actually for propagating and growing plants mm-hmm. as well. And... Uh, you know, and he, he was just like, oh, this is where cannabis is growing. Like, it's, it's going to go that direction. It has to because that's the way things have to happen. And Swami was like, well, I certainly hope not. And it's definitely not ever going to be that for me. And um, KNF also kind of takes that stance of like, okay, sure, you could spend $120,000 on some massive machine that tills and plows and plants all at once. Or you could spend $120,000 on, you know, salary for four people you know, for the course of the year mm-hmm. and have a superior product where you can actually, you know, you're, and, you know, instead of spending an extra $120,000 on fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides to try and creep your crop growing the way that you're supposed to, you're actually conditioning your soil and that extra 120 goes to pay another people's salary. Mm-hmm. And so you're oftentimes in your local community. Exactly. Exactly. You're often putting in the money that you would be spending on mitigating and troubleshooting problems, you're instead spending that on human resources. Mm-hmm. So, Well, that ties into being a community farmer, right? Taking care of the land and the people around you rather than trying to make a profit off of 
your commodity, your good, just trying to sell something, right? Yeah. Especially in terms of like waste. When we talk about is KNF viable, are these organic methods viable? I think there's a lot of a question of how much are we wasting of the excess versus how much do we need to grow, right? In what time frame? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we don't, I mean, you know, KNF, there's, there's a lot of kind of questions that people come up with and they're like, well, you know, you have to buy sugar. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, sure. You have to buy some sugar, but you're using these inputs at a one to 500 to one to 1000 ratio. So it's very, very little over the course of time. You can use, you know, any sugar that's local to you. So you can actually support, like if you're in the tropics, you can use coconut sugar and you can support local industry that way. Um, but for me, even even if I'm spending money on or having to input things, import things like sugar, again, I can spend that extra money on my community. I can spend the money that, you know, that I save from um, creating healthy soils and creating, you know, inputs. Cow on the road. <laughs> There's a cow right in the middle of the road and it's not moving. <laughs> cow on the podcast. <laughs> And he used to live in Maui. We always said that the Hana Highway was the most dangerous one because there would be black cows that would stand in the middle of the road just like that, and they wouldn't move. <laughs> Waste. There, it was oh, a, it, getting sugar. Yeah, so there was what you said was, you know, the, the concept of wasting things and waste. Um, well, the degree to which you waste, too. If you're getting a small amount of sugar from another location, that's not like throwing out 20% of your crop so that you can make the numbers work because you're going to get a subsidy on the side, right? right? You actually have to, the numbers are going to come alive for you in a way that it's not for a farm that's just trying to push a product. Yeah. And, and again, if you have a higher, higher quality product, you can, at some point, we'll be able to charge more. Right? Well, and that's just the end goal. That's always what you have to hold people accountable to. I want a higher quality product with less resources. Like, the money is how we define how I'm going to get that. That's all that's there for. The end thing, the end goal, though, is just resources and quality. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, and that's another thing is people say, well, you know, you can't use CANF at scale. And I'm like, yes, you can. You, you absolutely can. And it's actually pretty, it's almost easier to do at scale mm -hmm. because it's the same, not quite the same amount of time, but the bigger batches you make the less often you're making them and it's actually, you know, ends up being a little bit easier and you can have a party and have your friends over or you can hire somebody to help you for the day. And well, again. and it seems like a better way. I remember I was listening to an interview, I think a couple of days ago where you were talking about spraying using KNF methods. And it seems like that would be a much easier way too to spread something that might be more helpful to the surrounding environment at a larger scale as well rather than the opposite problem of, oh, geez, how do we contain this? How does this not get into the water? Yeah, when we took our pesticide license, uh, pest pesticide applicator license, which you have to do uh, in California as a cannabis operator, they wanted us to have these things. And I was like, well, I don't really spray, spray pesticides. And it was incredible. The questions that you had to know the answers was like, okay, when you're spraying like a level whatever pesticide, like what kind of radius do you need to warn people about? And how how long do you have to leave signage up? And how many hours before your workers can enter the area again? And I was just like, this is crazy to me that that is more standard than saying, here is a natural product that you're making yourself. There's very 
low risk of anything going wrong that is going to be you know all of it's made to be consumed by yourself as well in you know to drink as a human being so you know the chance of anything hurting you as long as you kind of know what you're doing which you know that that is a whole nother rabbit trail we could go down (laughs) and to also give the other side to this equation if for people who i think have this constant combativeness to certain farming methods of well it's just not practical the alternative to this is also like with my brother's case where he went to school and there were cornfields nearby which is fine until there was crop dusting in the middle of recess and kids were getting sick because they got dusted by this sort of stuff and it's like so that's the better option to yeah right so so the more practical thing is to wait until you have a massive problem and then try and cure it using i mean it's very western mental mentality it's a very western way of thinking well it's reactive right we don't actually value what we're taking away it's just how are we changing it and that's improvement right exactly we we definitely believe in cures more than prevention we definitely believe in you know treating the symptom instead of the disease all of these things kind of are are crazy to me because it just doesn't make sense I'm like why not just people like well what do you do when you get these bugs or those bugs I'm like honestly I've waited out for way longer than most people would to see whether something you know nature's going to come in we had some thrips this year on our cannabis plants people like what are you going to do I'm like I don't know I'm watching them I'm going to see what happens, you know, and sure enough, we, some natural predators came in or maybe it was the wind or the rain or the weather, whatever it was. Um, I didn't spray anything. I just kind of sat back and went, well, so far the plants are surviving and still thriving. They're dealing with having thrips. It's not that big of a deal. And I'm not, I would rather lose some yield than have to spray a pesticide, Mm -hmm. even a natural one. I would much rather just kind of let it work itself out. And in general, if you have really, really healthy soil, you have a really healthy community of microbiology working with your plant to create a very healthy plant. And most of those pests and diseases are not hugely problematic. I also believe in, you know, if you have something that is problematic, like, okay, maybe don't grow that again or take a loss on that one instead of you know scrimping for every penny and saying i'm going to do whatever it takes i mean we had a we had a whole drying room brought out this year lost the entire thing because the rain came and we couldn't get out to the farm and so it just molded and people like well you can still send it to distill it and i was like not a chance it's moldy it's garbage i will figure it out like you know i'm not going to put a product out there that could hurt somebody it's a horrible idea and I'm not going to send it to distillate, which is another process that I don't really believe in. It's not a full plant medicine. Um, I'm glad it exists. I'm, I'm glad people have access to high THC when they need just that for certain diseases. But for the most part, it's it's not something that I think has, again, it's, it's treating symptoms. It's not... It's a commodity that you can buy easily. Yeah. Again, it's not to say that it's, you know a lazy thing but in a way it's a lazy thing (laughs) you You said it not me (laughs) but you know yeah i i'm not you know california cannabis especially as a legacy cultivator has been has always been a struggle even when regulations came through and it was like oh this isn't gonna you know you're not gonna go to jail now and i'm like it's still a struggle Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So, but there's value in that struggle. There's value in getting to those endpoints and being like, okay, we made it through and here's how we improve next time. And, you know, again, I wouldn't have been pushed into KNF nearly as hard as I did or as quickly as I did if I hadn't seen the writing on the wall four or five years ago and said, you know, cannabis is not going to be worth what it was. And we better be prepared to not be hemorrhaging, you know, by spending money on these really expensive compost teas and these really expensive, um, you know, inputs, whatever it might be, how can we do this cheaper and also, you know, maintain our core values of sustainability and regenerative farming? That's one of the things I think you just hit on that's kind of despicable about a lot of the states that only allow indoor. Here, here, Monsanto, let me give you a ready-made market for people that need to grow their own medicine, but we're going to upcharge you by the very nature of what this thing is going to be because we're just not going to allow you the sun. Yeah, it's uh, the the indoor situation, the whole idea that cannabis is a dangerous plant that you have to put in jail to make sure that people don't get hurt by it. I'm just like, this is, it's so inane. Even the myth, I still find people who are like, well, medical cannabis can't really be grown outside. Could you touch on that and sort of dispel that for some people? Uh, what? <laughs> no, that's a real thing from other states where there's only indoor. You talk to legislators who are like, well, we need the purest, highest quality cannabis for our medical patients. And it makes me want... I It's it's so bizarre to me that that is... I mean, I, I get the mentality of where that comes from. But it's the same mentality that says, oh, well, don't let can't don't let children in a cannabis farm because, you know, because what about the children? Like, well, the plant is just a plant. It's not going to, like, hurt the kids. There's no, you know, I, I mean. Well, it's a conversation about education, right? Yeah. Maybe kids should. Uh, I can't even dive into that. <laughs> Maybe we should change how we educate people about drugs in general rather than criminalizing them, right? and sending kids into a situation where they have no conception. It's like, whatever you happen to buy from your friend, that's fine. Right. Instead of actually bringing it above board and getting real with adults using adult things on their own time. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, I was always around cannabis growing up. It was just another plant. Um, my kids have always been around it. It's just another plant. It's not anything dangerous. They don't look at it as some taboo thing. And, you know, I'm very honest with them about that and all drugs. I'm like, you know, there are some drugs that are psychedelics and they can be used to expand your mind. And there are some drugs that are, you know, psychoactive and those, you know, I mean, and then you have drugs like cocaine that maybe that's just not a good path to go down. And, yeah. you know, being very clear that like some people really enjoy that. I really don't recommend you do it. Um, and here's all the reasons why. Here are other drugs. Here's what they can do. Um, anyway, sorry, going off on a tangent there, but oh, but no. back to the, the idea. That well, even just like alcohol, alcohol can be delicious. It is a straight poison. That's all it is. It's delicious. It's great. I like the effects. Be real about what it is. Yeah, and don't overdo it. Everything in moderation and, you know, know what you're getting into. Um, but going back to the, the real question, which was, you know, medical has medical cannabis has to be grown inside is... Um, so first of all, you know, we are working very hard on dispelling that through science. So there is a case study going on right now uh, where they are testing 
cannabis that's grown outside and comparing it against cannabis that's grown inside. And they're finding that the cannabinoid profile and terpene profiles are both uh, increased Mm -hmm. as well as more diverse with cannabis grown under the sunlight. So we know that, you know, if you actually want something really high quality, you probably want to do something that has been grown out in the full spectrum sunlight because it is going to be you know more diverse and we know that with the entourage effect specifically with cannabis you need all that diversity you need the minor cannabinoids and the minor terpenes that are all playing together to create the total effect of what is going to you know create more health and well-being in your body well and not to put too fine a point on it i think it sets a standard of there are things in indoor cannabis that if you make that the only method of medical cannabis you're reducing what's the word efficacy of the plant as a whole because you're just not allowing people access to the other part of the spectrum right you actually are making a i don't want to say a worse product for patients but you're definitely denying your patients the full range of what they could get out of the plant yeah you're 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 limiting um you're limiting the plant's potential. You're limiting the interaction that it can have with the patient. So um, I think people also have this idea that outdoor cannabis is dirty, which is bizarre to me because when you live in a city, cities are the dirtiest places in the world. And I'll tell you right now, I've never been in a facility that did not have, you know, uh, pollution being, that was an indoor facility in a city or town where it wasn't drawing pollution in from the streets. And I don't care what kind of filtration system you've got going on, most of the air filtered is going out, not coming in. So you're sucking smog and pollutants from the air and you're blowing that across the medicine. I mean, if you really want to get into it, like, I mean, I guess I'm the crazy hippie that also doesn't wash her carrots when she pulls them out of the garden. Um, but I also know that dirt is not bad for us if it is not full of poisons. So, you know, growing something outside in a clean farm, like, you know, our farm is 160 acres and yeah, we've got other farms, but you know, people say, oh, you've got to worry about drift and overspray from other places. I'm like, oh, oh no, no, we definitely don't have to worry about that. So um, I will I will take a little bit of dust and, you know, an aphid carp carapace or two over Michael Butanol and some other crazy imidacloprid poisons that are put on to try and, you know, I, I don't even know, battle whatever it is that those things are used for. Well, and that's what makes the regulatory framework so frustrating, right? You might even have people, you have the research, you have the people willing to buy your product, you have the product, you're just not being allowed access, right? In California? <laughs> in your case, in California, but I mean, I think that's a wider issue probably in most states with cannabis right now. Yeah, removing the farmer from the customer or patient is a huge misstep in any regulatory process i don't care if it's milk i don't care if it's beef i don't care if it's cannabis when you and and i understand again it always comes back to this like you know safety and protection idea you know safety and protection for the children because cannabis is a dangerous plant except it's not safety and protection for the people because milk can kill you except it doesn't really um you know well that's the excuse to monetize it right it's too dangerous for you to do yourself go to this place that we've certified because they'll do it safely 
except yeah except now you have a product that has been industrialized and is losing quality and is losing nutritional content and losing its medicinal value and that you've probably destroyed the collective pool of resources to get it's not this feels weird because this feels always like the generational when i come around to this sometimes of nah, old people ruined everything but like i think we are sort of hitting a point where i'm like we don't have unlimited resources and we have a really high population that we haven't seen before in a system of global climate change there are only so many cards i can play in the right order before we just need to look at i mean i think mass change of agriculture we just need to rewrite a lot of these major bills yeah i am a huge proponent of decentralizing most things um you know i I don't know what political category I fall into, perhaps like social anarchist. Farmer. Yeah, farmer. <laughs> but um, and small farmer and supporter of local, you know, the local movements, localism, eat what's local, um, support your local community, support your, you know, friends and family. And I, it's, it's just crazy to me to think that if we continue with mass agriculture being the model to feed the world, we actually destroy it. Oh, not to be apocalyptic, but there are serious conversations that I have with people my age where they're like, I don't think I'm going to have kids. Like, that just doesn't... When you look at the facts versus that, and I can't blame them, but it is a strange thought to have in your head of like, hmm, unless things change, I might just watch my grandkids choke to death in front of me because there's just the dust left. Yeah, I have regrets just about you know well they're less often now but I definitely am faced with the you know the fact that I chose to have children and I really wanted children and I loved my children and my children changed my outlook on the world but I also definitely see it as something where people have kids now and I'm like "Ooh, you're crazy I don't know if I'd make that choice if I was your age now it's it's frightening our world is you know we're we're not doing well and we have it's not it's not and this is the thing that I always try to impress upon people is people are like well then we should just give up and I'm like no 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 we should not give up like the truth of the matter is there is still opportunity to change this but it does take us all acting together it does take decentralizing agriculture it does take going in and saying at your store what was grown locally what farms do you support it takes going to farmers markets it takes going out and doing picking your own it takes growing your own grow your own plant people are like aren't you worried about home grows you know destroying your business and i'm like oh heck no i want them to grow a plant because you know what the more that they grow the more you start realizing what quality is and the more we will start pushing towards that and the more support there will be for small farms and not just cannabis but all small farming well i think that's a super important point because when people bring up this idea that maybe somehow home grow is going to be this competitor to industry i'm like one most of the people i see who are home growing like as a bud tender when i have people come in and try and get them into home growing are the poorest people possible they're people without financial resources who are buying like in illinois shake because that's all they can afford and that's the limited amount of licensing there is but if you allow home grow suddenly you can have a steady stream of high quality cannabis that you actually didn't pay an arm and a leg for sometimes literally 
Yeah, and they also are then more discerning clients too. Mm -hmm. So they're like, I saved, you know, $120 on the ounce that I usually buy once a week or once a month. And I didn't buy it for two months because I grew my own, but now I'm running a little short, but I have you know, a surplus of $240 that I didn't spend before. So now I can go in and actually buy something that's higher quality. And once again, we're driving, you know, industry and business towards something that is sustainable and regenerative instead of something that is just going to produce mass mids of low quality. That is the only thing anybody will be able to afford. Mm -hmm. Talking about your stuff, you got an award recently. Yeah. Um, we won second place for cannabinoids at the Grow Off. So uh, the Grow Off is a competition where everybody gets the same, um, the same clone, basically the same cultivar, but from the same mom, same cut. Mm -hmm. So the genetics are the same, and then the variable is how you grow it. So we put ours in our full-term garden, just basically shoved it outside um, in soil that is very active, very living, very fungal dominant, mm -hmm. and. I always have these grand schemes of like, you know, this fertilizer schedule and like, I'm going to treat this one super special. I never do it. I always just end up treating it like all the other plants. And, um, yeah. And we ended up with second place and, uh, wasn't quite dried properly. It was like still a little bit too wet, like right within the margin. So it was like, if we had actually gotten it down to 11% moisture instead of 15, there's a good chance we probably would have taken first place. So um, Well, and that's probably a better testament to your growing, too, that you grew it the way you grew everything else. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and also, if people wanted to pick up something of that quality, they'd be able to, because it was grown like all of your stuff that you can get on the shelf. So, of the stuff that you're putting out for this harvest, what's your favorite? Oh, sheesh. I honestly... So... I, I loved our Cinex. Our Cinex was amazing, but that's um, that's going to be available in pre-rolls through um, Emerald Sun. They were co-branding with them um, just because it, it doesn't have very much bag appeal. It was, um, I don't know, it was just kind of larfy looking, but it was the best smoke ever. Like we gave some to my friend Amanda and she was moving. She was like, oh my gosh, I packed my entire living room in one afternoon without burning out at all. It's very, very stimulating. I love it. But that was, like I said, that was kind of this um, late summer harvest. And for this fall, I don't know. I We have our Temple Wook seed crosses that we did. Um, uh, Temple of the Surf is what we're calling it, which has a few different phenotypes. There's one that's very berry. There's one that's very earthy. And there's one that's very gassy. All from the same seed packet, though. So... You know, seeing how those phenotypes are coming out has been really, really fun. I love my full-term plants. I love plants grown from seed. I think there's something that is, I don't know, just kind of special and kind of different. And it's probably, you know, just bias and all in my head, but... Um, no, you get attached to them. They're each unique. They're not the same, right? They're not yeah. clones. They are... Yeah, they're each unique in their own genetic expression and their own, you know, genome is actually, you know, different from seed to seed to seed. So I get that market viability, you know, a customer wants to come and experience something and then they want to rebuy it and have that same exact experience. But I think part of the joy of life is that you don't know what to expect half the time. And of farming, you get a good harvest and you're like, ooh, that was a year. 
right this tomato was amazing and that one is amazing but slightly different and this one is amazing but totally different also uh, same thing with weed so um, but I did want to say too that you know one of the earlier we were talking about Korean natural farming and people saying that you can't do it at scale and you can't it doesn't you know you're gonna lose yield and you're gonna lose potency and you can't do this and you can't do that I'm like well you know KNF got us a second place in cannabinoids against everybody else growing exactly the same thing, including indoor, including light up, including, you know, whatever the methodologies were that people utilized. So I think that that is definitely a testament to that type of farming methodology that, you know, yeah, actually it does produce spectacular yield. It does produce spectacular quality and it does produce spectacular THC percent, which is an unfortunate discussion we're still having, but I can we kill this now? Because like, I mean, the conversation about THC because it there were things that at least at the dispensary we would have come through, and we won't even get into whether or not they were tested accurately. That's a whole nother. Right. I know Jeffrey Raber had like a study he came out with, and like. I believe it was something like 75% of what they tested wasn't even correct, like, within significant margins of what it should have been. But also bouncing off of bag appeal, can we kill that sort of thing? Because some of the best weed I've ever had has looked like the strangest, like, you wouldn't have known unless you smoked it. I completely concur with all of that. THC percentages mean nothing. I've gotten way higher off 16% than I have off 32. Quite often I get higher off lower percentages that have a good balance and have minor cannabinoids that are supporting the major ones and you know minor sesquiterpenes that are supporting the monoterpenes and we can get all very heady about it but suffice to say that it is a complete you know straw man fallacy i don't know what exactly brought it it about i don't know how the average consumer got kind of the wool pulled over their eyes that the thc percentage is the most important thing we don't talk about wine the best wine is not the one with the highest alcohol content it's the one with the most flavor it's the one with the most aroma it's the one with the most complexity uh, bag appeal, same conversation the best wine is not the one that is the most red you know it plays a part but the part it plays is the legs on the wine, not necessarily the color of it, the way that it feels in your mouth. Um, well, it's about those visual cues that you know are tied to a certain quality, right? Not looking for randomly selected identifiers like, is it a tight bud? Right. That doesn't actually, like, it, it doesn't do it for you, Jim. It's just a tight bud. And honestly, those tight buds are usually more problematic anyway because there's not the the structure where the trichomes can grow to their full extent there you know if you like hash or you like solventless or you like any type of concentrates it's difficult to extract your your material from a bud that's that tight without smashing it up which damages your trichomes it's um yeah those those two particular you know kind of notes of quality that somehow became the end-all do-all in the industry it's very unfortunate and it does a huge disservice to the client and the end user you also got a social equity grant for the emerald cup and you're going to be there 
Yeah, we the Emerald Cup put together something called the Small Farmers Initiative, and they gave out I think 26 booths to small farms that applied. Um, so we didn't have to pay for booth space, and we were awarded one of them, which was amazing. And uh, this will be the first Emerald Cup that I'll have a booth at since 2017, I believe, or maybe it was, I think it was 2017 was the last time we boothed, and I'm. So Super excited! So we'll be there. We're actually bringing our Gorilla Glue number four, uh, which, which is delightful. You should absolutely try it. I got the chance to at the Gangier session. Yeah. Highly recommend, especially if you like Gorilla Glue. You might get thrown off, but I think you're really gonna enjoy it. It's definitely got a little something extra to it, and that's one of the things that is um, very indicative from our terroir and our farm is I, I no matter what it is that we grow there's always a little bit of floral or a little bit of fruit at the back end a little bit of sweetness um, just something that is slightly different than what you'd expect and what we found with the glue my my favorite thing about it is I just get ridiculously giggly and light of heart and carefree it's a wonderful wonderful smoke as uh, Kevin Jodry He's been, you know, grading a lot of the cannabis that's coming through the Gonchier program. Um, quite a bit of it's coming from, you know, our my home grow and, you know, some of it from the farm and things. And, you know, the GG4, he was like, he's like, you know, I gave it an 8.5 for experience, which is like the highest I've given or one of the highest that I've given. because I remember so that. Fun. I remember that exact metric because I remember us talking about the review that I had and I was like, I had like an 8.3 on the experience, but all of the other ones were lower, and we had a deliberate conversation about that because it was by sort of how we were going about getting those numbers rather than about the experience people were having, which was kind of an interesting. Yeah, knowing that the numbers, the numerics, the rubrics of what the final score is actually has nothing to do with the experience. And the experience for me is the end-all duel. I don't care what it looks like. I mean, I'm not going to usually have a high experience rating if I didn't enjoy the way that it smells and tastes. Mm -hmm. So those do kind of play in, but it's a natural follow-through. And uh, But the GG4 is just uh, super fun. It's a lot of cannabis now for me. I need it to have that uplifting light of heart. You know, the world, as we were talking about, it's kind of a heavy place right now. Yep. So something that keeps us optimistic, something that keeps us hopeful, something that keeps us full of joy and reminds us to be in the moment and that the moment is good is really important for me. So that's why we chose to, to um, you know, to exemplify that particular cultivar at the Emerald Cup. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited. And what days are the Emerald Cup? Is it it's December 11th and 12th, I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 11th and 12th at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. Uh, it's the Harvest Ball. It's not actually the Emerald Cup itself. It's kind of like a countdown to the cup. And um, and I believe they pushed that back this year, right? It's at the same time it's always been, but the actual, the actual Emerald Cup is going to be, I think, in March or something. Mm. So that will be the follow-up the bigger event which i think they're talking about possibly holding down in los angeles and that will be the awards ceremony and all of that so uh, that will be a nice event too this one i think is aimed to be a little bit smaller and a little bit more intimate which i think is going to be great for the small farmers to exemplify you know what we're doing and um and be able to continue educating and things too and that's you know real 
quickly to tie into the educational component, we're also putting on, not we, uh, but Organic Cultivators, which is our Facebook group where we do a lot of educating for growers. Um, We're putting on a conference in Boston in February of 2022, February 11th, 12th, and 13th, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 11th, 12th, and 13th. And having a three-day conference that is going to talk about a lot of the subjects that we touched on tonight, all about how to transition to living soils, how to make your indoor more sustainable, how to learn how to read a soil test, how to start with your farming and, you know, how to understand EC or electrical conductivity and, um, am I even saying that right? And pH and how cation exchange sites work with pH and getting into some really kind of nerdy stuff and then also having a lot of fun with it so we're gonna have like an evening with outlaws so we're gonna have patrick king is gonna be there we're gonna be talking story about growing up you know back in prohibition days and kevin jodry is gonna come in i think he's gonna join us via zoom and talk about being a career hustler and uh native new englander yep yep native new englander kev is and uh you know possibly some other surprise guests coming in and it's just it's gonna be really fun and really educational and we're trying to do something a little bit different than what's been done which is not just cannabis and not just food but trying to tie them together and talk about farming and gardening and legacy and community and cultivation um and just you know i I think actually we we figured out our kind of tagline is um, cultivation, community, and culture. So that's that's what that's going to be, and it's going to be amazing too. So super excited for all the fun things that we're doing this year. <laughs> Last question: Where we've heard the products that you can buy, where can people buy them at, or where can they find where to buy them at? Okay, so our website is www.sunabus.com, so which we will link. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so you can also think of it like sun grown cannabis, Sunabus. And hopefully we will be having an interactive map on there with links to the stores that you can purchase things um, because we are regulated by California State. It is only available in California State in uh, dispensaries or retail outlets that sell cannabis. For now. For now, until federal regulations change. Um, And we are relaunching the brand at the Emerald Cup. So up until now, for the past few years, there has not been Sunnibus branded products on the shelves. We've done a few co-branding endeavors with people like Redwood Roots and now with Emerald Sun. But we're finally at the point that we're like, okay, I have a little bit of extra time to build relationships and get some strategic partnerships going with retailers. So hopefully that will be happening this winter and early in the spring uh, there will be branded Sunabis products on the shelves. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Elijah. It's been awesome. I love doing these things. So thank you for the opportunity.